Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We do appreciate you tuning in again today as we look into the Word of God here on the Searching the Scriptures radio program each and every week. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop, and it is a privilege to have an open Bible before me once again and the opportunity uh, to expound the precious words of the living God and hopefully to give you some help. Our desire is to minister the Word of God, and I'll tell you, the Word of God has help for everybody in it. And uh, our desire on this program is to show you what the Bible says and expound it and give you the passages that we're preaching from so that you can look them up and follow along with us. It doesn't matter what I have to say or what you think or what your preacher or priest has said. What matters is not our opinions or our agendas or our denominational viewpoints. What matters is what God said Amen. Now somebody will say, well, preacher, aren't you a, aren't you a Baptist? Isn't that a denomination? Well, sure it is. And I'm not ashamed to be a Baptist. If you wrote to me or called me and asked me, well, give me some reasons why you are a Baptist. I would be able to expound to you and explain to you why that I choose to label myself. If I'm going to fall under a label, I fall under the label of Baptist. I'm not ashamed of that. However, let me be quick to say this. What I believe is not the Baptist faith and message or some creed that a Baptist came up with. But rather, what I am interested in is what the Bible says. On our program, we are interested in what the Word of God says and not merely what it is presumed to teach. And I want you, my listening audience, to be able to put your faith not in my preaching or my opinions or my ideas or agendas. What I want to be able to do is to point you to what God said. And I have on the table before me an old authorized version King James Bible. It's the one your grandmother used. It's the one that God brought revival to this country with. It's the one that God has produced more fruit through than any other translation that's ever been given to English-speaking people. And let me just say this. I realize some of my listening audience still struggles with this, but it's nevertheless, it's true. We don't need the Bible retranslated. Amen. It needs to be reread. Amen and amen. Uh, there's nothing wrong here with our old authorized version. Uh, many times people say, well, it's just so hard to understand. Well, let me tell you something. If you're unsaved, if you've never been born again, you'll never understand any Bible. Because this book is spiritually discerned. Uh, listen, if you are saved, don't give me that old hot air about, well, I can't understand them archaic words. There's two ways that you can overcome that. Number one, ask God to teach you. Because the Holy Ghost, if you're saved, lives in your heart. And the Holy Ghost is the one that moved men to speak and moved men to record and write down the words that God wanted inspired and preserved. Therefore, the Bible is, the author of the Bible is the Holy Ghost. You say, well, men wrote the Bible. No, men were the instruments that God used, but the Holy Ghost told them what to write down. And God, in His omnipotence and in all of His power, God uh, superintended and preserved those words, and we have them today in the King James Bible. So the first thing to do, you say, I can understand the Bible. Well, how about, first of all, reading it? And when you come to a passage that you don't understand or a word that you don't understand, you can ask God to show you. And then secondly, uh, God has provided us with some wonderful tools that men have made. You say, "What's what tools are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about... Things, these, these big thick books, uh, they're called dictionaries. And you can actually look words up and find out what their definitions are. It'll help you. Now, I'm not trying to be too sarcastic, 
although I am being a little, I just want you to know that uh, this old gas bag about, well, the King James Bible is too hard to understand. It won't fly. Uh, I checked the Gospel of John one time. Can I, can I just get on my soapbox here for just a minute? I checked the Gospel of John out of a King James Bible with a flesh Kincaid grade level indicator one time. I just put the whole Gospel of John in there. Now you say, what's a flesh Kincaid grade level indicator? It is the nationally recognized, uh, grade level indicator for public schools. In other words, they give a book, a social studies book or a history book, or they run it through this uh, flesh Kincaid grade level indicator, and it will tell you what grade level that that book reads at. Well, you know what the Gospel of John read at? In a flesh Kincaid grade level indicator, it read at a fifth grade reading level. I'll say that again. The Gospel of John read at a fifth grade reading level. Now, somebody, if you know your stuff, you're going to say, well, preacher, I was in the Lifeway one time and they had a, a, a translation grade level indicator and they said that the King James read at a 12th grade reading level. Yes, but they did not tell you what verse that they put in. They put in one verse out of Zephaniah. That one verse is a run-on sentence or what we would call a run-on sentence. God doesn't have to obey our rules of grammar but that one verse did read at a, a 12th grade reading level. But you see, what they were trying to do was not give you the truth. They were trying to sell books because they wanted you to uh, buy one of these new translations that have a copyright. So a publisher gets some money. And so they made you think that the King James Bible read at a 12th grade reading level and that the New American Standard and the NIV were down at the 6th and 7th grade reading level. Well, it's true that an NIV and an NASB and others like them read at a 6th and 7th grade reading level, but it is a falsehood to say that the King James reads at 12th grade. It does not. Uh, if you put one long, uh, very complicated, wordy verse in, you might get one verse that reads at that. But I'm talking about if you drop a whole book of the Bible in there from an authorized version, she'll come up between 4.5 and 5.8. That means it's between a 4th and a 5th grade reading level. So, you go kid your grandmother about it's too hard to understand. If you're saved, you can understand this book. And the more you read through it, the more it'll speak to your heart. This is the inspired Word of God I have on the table with me today. And I say, thank you, Lord. Praise God for it. I'm going to stand on it. If the whole world says forget it, chunk it, I'm standing right where I stand. And you'll never miss if you'll just take God at His Word. Listen, that Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. He didn't just inspire a book, my friend. He kept it. That Bible says the words of the Lord are as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The book is preserved, and I've got a copy, and I hope you do too. All right, let's go ahead and get into this week's lesson. We're talking about the sayings of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm in Matthew 27 this week. Uh, we talked about last week three of the first things, three of the, uh, the first sayings that the Lord Jesus Christ cried from Calvary's cross. And last week it was an amazing study to see that the first three things the Lord Jesus Christ said were prayers and provisions and promises for other people. We saw him praying for his murderers when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
A while later, one of the dying malefactors repented and called upon Jesus Christ and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And the Lord Jesus Christ stopped long enough to give him a promise of consolation and assurance like you can find rarely in any other place in the Bible. When our Lord, while hanging on a tree, looked at that old repentant thief and said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He gave a word of promise. He prayed for his murderers. And then we saw in John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, that he made provision for his dear mother while he was dying on the cross. When he told John, Behold thy mother. And he looked at Mary and said, Woman, behold thy son. And from that day forward, the Bible says John took Mary under his wing, if you will, and took her into his own home. And our point was this. We went through that very carefully in our last study, and we concluded that Jesus Christ set the ultimate example for Christians because even in the midst of his darkest hour, the midst of his greatest suffering, as the Lord Jesus suffered as no other man has ever suffered, in the midst of all of that, he had time to think of others and to minister and pray for others. And I closed our broadcast last week by challenging you with these thoughts. And I want to challenge you afresh and anew at the start of this new broadcast today that if you want to have a fruitful and victorious Christian life, one that you see God moving in your life, one that you see God using you and your life, one where it creates joy and peace and joy unspeakable and full of glory, then here's what you've got to do. As a saved person, get your eyes off of yourself. Quit worrying about yourself. Quit being so sensitive at people's remarks. Quit being irritated by other Christians. Quit complaining about how, quote, unfriendly churches are that you visit. The reason you think churches are unfriendly is because you come in with your all of your nerves and all of your sensitivity and you're wearing your heart on your sleeve and if one person looks at you and doesn't shake your hand, you leave mad saying, that's an unfriendly church. Do you know why you're offended? Because you're still thinking completely uh, about yourself. It's all about you. My friend, you need to learn what John the Baptist learned. And he said this. We need to take a hint from him. He said over there in John chapter 3, verse 30, he said, He must increase, speaking of the Lord Jesus. He said, But I must decrease. Christ is to increase. You are to decrease. And the reason Christians go around irritated, sad, complaining, and bitter, and feeling rejected, and blaming pastors, and blaming Christians and churches, is because they have their focus completely on themselves. They think the church, they think the Christian walk is all about them. But the truth of the matter is, the Christian life is all about others. O-T-H-E-R-S. And our Lord Jesus Christ was all about others, prayed for his murderers, promised a malefactor that repented a place in paradise and made provision for his mother. And here in Philippians chapter 2, let's look at it. The Bible says this in verse 3 of Philippians chapter 2, while we're talking about this uh, truth, this secret of others, it says, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. This is talking to Christians in churches. It says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, 
which was also in Christ Jesus. So right after he tells people to think of others and to esteem others better than themselves and look not at your own things and not worry about yourself, but look out for others, he says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And listen, that cross was about others. In fact, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 through 28, Jesus Christ said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister. And he went on to say that if you want to be great in my kingdom, then let a man debase himself, if you will, put himself low, and minister to others and become other people's servants. And he said, just as the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister. And he says this, and to give his life a ransom for many. And so Jesus Christ finished this work that God sent him to do. And the culmination of this great work was all that he accomplished while hanging on the cross, dying as the Lamb of God. But even as he died in his darkest hours, even as he died suffering in agony and pain and humiliation on the cross outside the city walls of Jerusalem, our Lord Jesus took time to think of others. And my friend, the secret of the happy Christian life, the successful and glorious and, and, uh, victorious Christian life is to get consumed with others. And I'm telling you, the best Christians I know, the strongest soldiers of the cross that we have over here at Bluegrass Pike Baptist Church are those people who are always looking to be a blessing to somebody else. And the big sour pusses that we have from time to time that swell up and sour up in our pews like an old wet sponge, those are the people who never do anything for anybody, but they look around all the time wondering what can be done for me. You know something John F. Kennedy said something well his speechwriter said something for him that was very profound in that January 20th 1961 uh, acceptance speech the day he was inaugurated as our president he said ask not what you can do uh, or what your country can do for you but what you can do for your country friend let me tell you something that's a profound statement and while that was designed to be patriotic and all of that politically stuff that political driven stuff in the spiritual realm, it's true. Quit asking uh, the pastor and the church what they're going to do for you, but rather start looking what you can do for your church and for the cause of Jesus Christ. And if you will lose yourself and get enthralled with ministering to others, you'll have never have an unfruitful day, and you'll find out that your depression and your irritation will melt away because you'll get caught up in being a blessing to others. And that was our example of our dear Lord. He says seven things from the cross, and the first seven things he says was about others. Now let's look at the fourth thing he says. As we saw last week, there was six hours of suffering for our Lord Jesus Christ as he hung on Calvary's tree. And from a 12 o'clock that day to around 3 o'clock that afternoon, darkness set in over the land. During those six, I'm sorry, those three hours of darkness, our Lord said nothing as he suffered the full brunt of the wrath of God the Father upon sin, as he took upon himself our sin, my sin and yours, and suffered there uh, for us and went down under the wrath of Almighty God. And for those three hours of darkness, nothing was said. But about the ninth hour, I'm in Matthew 27, verse 46. The scripture says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, 
my God, I'm sorry, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, here's what he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so at the end of those hours of darkness, as he is hung there, suffering in ways that we cannot imagine or describe, Jesus Christ finally cries out in despair and he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I'll be honest with you, there is no way that a feeble man such as myself could ever fully expound the richness, the deep, dark mystery of this, what is said here. But the second person, if you will, of the Godhead, God the Son, is crying out, and he says these words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now I've had men come to the rescue of the deity of Christ and they think that they must deny somehow what Jesus says here, what he cries out in questions. They think they have to come and say, well, now God never really forsook him. Well, God never turned his back and we don't want to make up something and that's not true. This is an eternal Godhead. Listen, I understand that I don't understand. And I'm just telling you today that when I read these words, it is deeper than anything that I could expound satisfactorily to myself or to you. But I can tell you this, that when Jesus Christ hung on that cross and the darkness came, it was it's obvious to me that during those three hours of darkness, darkness is always connected, amen, to judgment in the Bible. And the judgment of our sin and the full cup of wrath was being drank drunk by our Lord and he didn't just drink the cup he drained it and he ate the dregs at the bottom of that cup of wrath listen the cup that Jesus Christ prayed about in the garden was the cup of wrath that he would endure for sinners like me and you when he comes out of the garden and allows himself to be taken and he goes forth to meet that band of soldiers and religious leaders that were led by a devil that day by the name of Judas Iscariot when they came with their lanterns and torches and weapons Jesus Christ willingly went forward to meet them and calmly put his hands out and allowed them to take him into custody and you you know the story when that began to take place old Peter jumped up out of his sleep he had been prayerless all night he had been sleeping all night and so he jumps up and does the first thing his flesh tells him to do and he pulls his sidearm that great sword and he goes to swing it at one of the men and he cut off a man's ear by the name of Malchus. And of course, we know that Peter wasn't going for his ear. Uh, it took me years, but I finally figured out he was going for a headshot. And all that boy did is he ducked when Peter swung that sword. And when he ducked, he sliced his ear off. And Jesus Christ reached down and he picked that ear back up and he healed that man's ear. And he looked at Peter and he said these words. He told Peter in John chapter 18 and verse 11, Jesus said unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath, the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? And brother, he went forward and he drank it down to the dregs. He drained it, friend. You say, what's going on here? Well, the darkness is him drinking and eating the dregs of that old cup of wrath on sinners. And when he come down after three hours in the darkness from midday, when it became midnight at midday, for three hours he suffered in silence and in agony under unspeakable tortures and suffering. And in the darkness he died there suffering with our sins on him. The Bible says he bore our sins in his own body 
on the tree. And listen, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, a very good Bible verse, one that explains the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ as clearly as any verse in the Bible. It says that God had made him to be sin. Now let's stop right there and think about this. Here's the Lamb of God, nailed to a tree, suffering, dying, ministering to others. And during three hours of darkness on the land, when God turned the lights out and creation put on sackcloth and ashes as it watched its creator suffering at the hands of sinful, ignorant men, in that darkness, Christ suffered for you and me, bore our sins in his own body, and became sin for us. That is an unbelievable truth. Do you know why Christians today doubt their salvation so much? I, I mean, I realize some of you are confident, but boy, I meet a lot of people that go to churches. I'm talking about all kinds of churches, from Southern Baptist to United Methodist to Grace Presbyterian, all of these different denominations. You talk to people, you get a conversation started about the Lord, and you ask the question, are you saved? And you know what the standard answer is? Well, I sure hope so. I think I am. I, I, I hope I am. Oh, friend, listen to me. Are you trusting the Lord Jesus Christ? Where is your faith? What are you trusting to present you faultless before the throne? Are you trusting your water baptism? Then you ought to doubt your salvation. Are you trusting your church membership? Then you're not saved. Are you trusting your good life or your good deeds or how good of a person you think you are? Then you're definitely not saved because it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. Oh, listen to me, friend. The confidence comes from understanding what Jesus Christ accomplished on your behalf when he died on the cross. That Bible says that God made him to be sin. Isaiah 53, 6 says that the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that's the Father, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ is suffering under the wrath of God and taking our punishment for us, and he is purging our sins, listen, Hebrews 1, 3 says, by himself. He is taking upon us our sin in our place, and being was wounded for our transgressions and is bruised for our iniquities. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. For God hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Salvation is in Christ Jesus. And when you learn to quit looking at yourself, quit looking inwardly, quit trying to have faith in your prayer that you prayed. Quit going back and racking your brain. Did I do this right? Did I pray right? No, look away. Look away from yourself. Look away from your praying. Look away from your denomination. Look away from all that you could possibly do and realize with the songwriter Rock of Ages, realize that nothing in your hand you can bring, but simply to the cross is where you're to cling. There is no other Argument needed. The hymn writer, the other hymn writer I'm thinking of right now says, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. He was delivered for our offenses. 
He died for our sins and God made him to be sin and punished our sin completely, fully in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And after going down under three hours of darkness and drinking that cup to the bottom and draining its dregs, that cup of wrath that he took upon himself, why? Because God loved me and you. Bless his wonderful name. That Bible says God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us while we were yet without strength friend listen to me you have no strength of your own you cannot save yourself you are hopelessly lost you are helplessly bound by sin you are a fallen creature you are a sinner a lawbreaker go down through the ten commandments and look how you've multiplied broken that law your multiplied breaches of God's law demands punishment and friend if you're listening today and you're unsaved if you die in your sins you will surely go to hell and you'll stand one day at the great white throne judgment and be cast into the lake of fire when the books are open and all of your sins, all of your secret sins are revealed. That Bible says God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Oh, that mouth has blasphemed the creator that gave you breath and life. Amen. You've invented gods and served yourself more than you've ever served God. You go down through the list of the Ten Commandments and you realize the Fifth Commandment demands that uh, you're to honor your father and mother and yet you look back over your life and realize that you've never done that completely. You've dishonored them, disrespected them and, and failed in the Fifth Commandment. You've blasphemed God with that angry tongue of yours. You've looked with lust and Jesus said, any man that looks upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. That's the seventh commandment. While the sixth commandment says, thou shall not kill. It's the law of God. And yet the Bible says, if you hate your brother in your heart, it says, you're a murderer. You're guilty of murder. Listen, that Bible says, thou shall not steal. And let's, some of you men can think back 20 and 30 years ago when you stole the virginity, the purity of some young girl back in your high school days. Took something from her you can never replace. Stole from her husband. Oh, listen to me. Uh, fornicators, liars, thieves, adulterers, drunkards, sorcerers, uh, amen, haters of God. Uh, all of you, Listen to me. You're a sinner. All of these things will be revealed in the day of judgment. And listen, the only way to be saved is through the blood and the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Look at him bleeding and dying there on the cross. Look at him going down under the wrath of God for you and for me, suffering, amen, the pains and the torments of any unsaved man would ever feel when he went into hell. And he closes out those six hours of suffering and the three hours of darkness. About the ninth hour, he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And listen, it's the cry of every lost man that lifts his eyes in hell, like the rich man of Luke 16, who died suddenly and he had fared sumptuously every day and enjoyed the blessings of God, but he had never repented toward God. And he lifted his eyes, the Bible said, in hell and was tormented in the flame and was crying out for a drop of water, forsaken of man, forsaken of all of his comfort, but worst of all, forsaken of God. And here we have Jesus Christ being made sin for us. And at the close of his sufferings, when he suffered in darkness and the punishment of God and the wrath of God and drained the cup and ate the dregs for me and you, at the close of that suffering, he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And my friend, 
When I ask you, are you saved? You're going to talk about some religious experience. You're going to talk about your tongue talking. You're going to talk about the Church of Christ elder that baptized you. Oh, listen, every sinner that's saved who fully understands this knows that our salvation is wrapped up not in a church, not in a baptistry. It's not wrapped up in our good deeds or our humanitarian efforts or how great we think we are. It's not wrapped up in our amen deciding to turn over a new leaf or our promises to do better. My friend, salvation is in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ who died and suffered under the wrath of God for you. Now, what are you going to do with him? The Lord Jesus suffered and died. And blessed be his wonderful name. Three days later, he rose from the dead. That book says he was delivered for our transgressions and our offenses. And he was raised again for our justification. My question, sinner friend, as I close the broadcast today, is have you ever looked in faith and taken Christ as your own Lord and Savior? Why not today trust the one who cried out in your place as your substitute, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He died for you, friend, and he rose from the dead. Will you look to him today and receive him as your Lord and Savior? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved.